Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Petum here as always, and I hope everyone is doing very, very well. Of course, this is our big season in review episode of the Holtcast. Sorry, it's a little late. I'm moving house. I have boxes all around me and it's an absolute shit show. So uh, yeah, it's a little late and we have two members that are sick as dogs. So anyways, it's uh, Simon O'Regan here as well with me and Danny Raza too. So we're just going to kind of run through the season that was for Aston Villa and just kind of have a general chat kind of post-mortem about it and maybe even what we expect next at the end if we have enough time. But anyways, let's get over to these guys first. Danny, how's it going for you? Yeah, I'm good, Cole. I'm uh, vibing as usual. Uh, Very, very busy summer up ahead for me. I've got the case of about, well, I've got like a new job, essentially. Um, Still working at the BBC, obviously, but uh, I've got a driving test coming up. And I've got my weddings to prepare for. So I think it's a good time for Villa to be taking a break because I don't really need that much football to commit to right now. Yeah, no, I do agree with that. And uh, well, first and foremost, I mean, we've already talked about this, but congrats on everything. Um, We can make it official here because you haven't announced it. Danny has literally grown up on this podcast, so it's kind of cool to see Um, if you're an OG listener. I, I don't think so on the podcast. You've mentioned it to me, obviously, and to everybody oh, thanks, else. Bro. Yeah, well, no problem. It's nice to get the thanks now. But anyways, let's go over to Simon next. Simon, how's it going for you, my friend? Uh, yeah, not too bad, thanks. Um, I don't have anywhere near so exciting as summer. as <laughs> Danny coming up. So I'm just uh, yeah, looking forward to a well-earned, well-earned rest over the summer and sort of not have to worry so much about what how good we're going to get on at the weekend and... Just looking forward to getting more excited about the transfers that might be coming into the club if the first week of the close season is anything to go by. Could be a fun summer for Villa fans. Absolutely. Well, Simon won't say it, but he's just really, really excited for the Queen's Jubilee. So we're (laughs) we're just going to put that behind on that one. But uh, Simon, if you have one goal to accomplish this summer, what is it? I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How many bins can you stuff seven? There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go on, yeah. Finally <laughs> meet up with seven. Give me what's coming to him. <laughs> Tell him I am your father. There you go. <laughs> but, but anyways, let's move on to something actually football related. And of course, that is. Aston Villa Football Club. We all know how this season went, of course, for the Villa. Not what we expected, but nonetheless, we're always here chatting about it because we do love this football club. it's one of those things, Simon, I'll throw it right back to you right away. I mean, we all really would have hoped for, obviously, with how the summer kind of panned out, maybe we thought, you know what, stabilizing around 10th would be a good thing with the signings we made in the summer with Leon Bailey and Danny Ings, et cetera, et cetera, even losing Grealish. I think a lot of people thought, you know what, maybe we could finally push on even with that um, one key player being removed from the squad. But now kind of sitting back on it, reflecting on it, how do you kind of feel about the season in particular? Yeah, it's it's one of those, like you said, that at the beginning of the season, I think there was maybe maybe an expectation, which maybe was unrealistic, that you push on and challenge for a European spot. I mean, I, I think it's... I, I think you look at the signings that, that come in and... I think the Danny Ings one especially, I think was one that a lot of people were really excited about because, you know, he's shown over the, a number of years how good a goal scorer he is. You kind of thought, okay, the loss of Greenish is going to hit hard. I think everyone expected that to happen. But you thought you've got another good goal scorer coming in. And to be fair, even though I 
the opening day defeat at Watford aside, which was obviously horrible. Looking back over the first couple of months, it wasn't wasn't an awful start to the season. Okay, home draw with Brentford wasn't great. But you kind of, you know, we lost to Chelsea away early on, but played really well. Beat Everton at home, beat United away, and she kind of, which, you know, just never happens. So the first two months of the season, you kind of thought, okay, maybe things are starting to click. And then obviously, sort of all went drastically wrong quite quickly for Smith. And so I think you sort of take that into account and the managerial change and sort of having to basically change and develop a whole new style of play where the previous two or three years had all been built solely around one very talented footballer. I think you probably, you look back now with a bit of hindsight and say, yeah, it was always probably going to be a bit more difficult than last season. I, I think we kind of said after the Man City pod the other week that, you know, that I think there is a sense of a slightly underwhelming feeling you come off at the end of the season. But I, I think there's... I think there are sort of little grass shoots of promise that were thrown in at certain stages throughout last season. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a difficult one to properly analyse because you look on the bare face of it, you finish 14th, but the previous season you finish 11th on less points. So And you've lost half of the game. So there's obviously stuff that hasn't gone you know, completely spot on. But... It kind of if you're trying to put your sensible hat on, which is difficult for a lot of football fans because it's a very emotional game at times. But it's it's not. I'm not coming away from the season like really angry or like really annoyed. It's just you kind of think it could have been slightly better, but it's you know it's probably around where. It probably went how you thought it was gonna how how it should have gone really sort of looking back but yeah it's a, I think it's just a really odd season for Villa fans to try and properly sum up because there's no real right or wrong strong consensus either way I don't think you can make an argument for yeah absolutely and Daniel I'll throw it this way to you I mean given the way the summer went, of course, we all know the, the Grealish saga and then basically five seconds after Grealish, who with Danny Ings and all that kind of excitement with that um, unexpected nature of that signing. And of course, like I said before, Leon Bailey and um, kind of thinking back to the summer as well. Um, Matty Targo is kind of playing catch up with his fitness and there's a few injuries in the camp. And I think we're still dealing with a few bouts of COVID as well. I mean, just really from the start this season, it's just been kind of, playing catch-up hasn't it yeah but like the thing is i'm not um i'm i'm not here to kind of approach this with kind of a negative outlook like i think we said at the start of the season really that dean smith needed to get it right we approached this season kind of thinking like um right okay so greedish is gone and we need to kind of move forward all of that I mean, we we had we 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 kind of made it to the Premier League. We stuck around. We managed to stay up just about, and then we kind of had a very good like season under Dean Smith, with obviously a, a brilliant player in Grealish. A really good start to that season, obviously with Ross Barkley, and then it all kind of went down. You've now got you know uh, we've now got a sense that a lot of those players who you know we did finish was it tenth was it tenth that season was it eleventh or was it eleventh last season eleventh. 11th right so we you kind of we kind of then got a sense that a lot of those players were fairly inconsistent so you think okay fair enough we've got to start building you've got to try and make a squad and that's what you know that's one thing we've got at the end of the season now we've got a much better squad but also you know there was always that doubt that Dean Smith could take Villa further than where they were you know with with the players that we had in that season you thought that maybe we could have kicked on a little bit more than the consistency was never quite there and then you know that kind of ran into this season where there was defensive inconsistencies things weren't going right we weren't able to break teams down and uh so yeah you've got another season of consolidation but that's what football is like you know not everybody's going to be knocking at top 6 every season you can't knock at top 8 every season sometimes it's transitional seasons look at west ham the season before with um, with David Moyes, you know, they nearly got relegated and now, you know, they're out here, you know, challenging 
um, challenging the top side. So it happens, you know, take, things do take time. If you ask me now whether at the start of the season I feel more, you know, whether I feel more confident than I did at the start of the season or whether I feel more confident than I did at the end of last season, I'd say 100%. I, I really do believe that the club is getting better and better. Um, I think that, you know, even, even when you look at the, the likes of Luca Dean, what the impact that they've had on the team, you know, suddenly, you know, that weak underbelly that, that, that was there um, is starting to just disappear a little bit. You can see that Gerard's kind of working on it, but to be honest, you know, I won't look at this season as a failure. Dean Smith had a chance, but I, I don't think looking back, a lot of us thought that he was, I don't think every single one of us thought that he was definitely going to be the guy to keep us going. Um, so yeah, look, you know, that happened, Gerard's come in and it's a new era now. So it's, it's very funny because you almost see the season as a, as a two part thing. Yeah, I mean, it literally is a tale of two stories. And just to kind of run everybody through, of course, the season, I'll just run through um, the kind of circumstances of events or I guess the results, I guess you could really say. Of course, the season opened on August 14th, a 3-2 loss to Watford. Um, and we'll run through the rest of August, of course, beating Newcastle United 2 will at home. We all remember that through the uh, Danny Ings' goal of the season, the overhead kick. Um, who can forget Onwar Al-Ghazi becoming Cristiano Ronaldo and we're beating uh, Barrow 6-0. Um, I think that was the height of his powers um, this season, <laughs> especially at Villa, looking back at it, um, of course, and finishing that month one all at Brentford going into September, 3-0 loss to Chelsea, beating Everton 3-0. Of course, we all think of that with um, Leon Bailey, of course, kind of coming on and thinking, wow, what a player we have here. The very, very unfortunate Carabao Cup exit 4-3 on penalties of course, won all um, in the regular scoreline in the Carabao Cup. Uh, of course, beating United, which now seems like a curse. <laughs> if you look at kind of what came shortly after at Old Trafford and the fact that we scored and then gave away a penalty from Courtney Hawes and he, Bruno Fernandez missed from Emmy Martin's shithousery is probably the one of the, my favorite memories from this season. Going into October, of course, this is where it just kind of gets from bad to worse, of course. And this is, of course, why we were talking about Dean Smith leaving. 2-1 loss to Spurs, the 3-2 loss to Wolves, which still boggles my mind. One of the most humiliating collapses I think I've ever seen. 3-1 loss to Arsenal, 4-1 loss to West Ham. And then, of course, Dean Smith's final game as Villa boss on the 5th of November, a Friday, that 1-0 um just i mean as soon as i think it was adam armstrong got that goal and it was one hell of a goal to be fair to him um it just kind of felt like it was curtains for his villa managerial career so kind of looking at that simon in particular i mean just running through the first few months i know we've all kind of ran through the the season kind of in in a general thought process but kind of up until then of course going into that game do you ever is there any kind of part of your mind that thought if we got a draw or beat Southampton, Dean Smith would have been given that Brighton game? Because I think a lot of people might forget that there was like a two week gap and it just kind of seemed like it'd be the perfect possibility if you're going to change something, which obviously it was, but kind of sitting back on it now, I guess one question would be, do you think if that result was reversed and Villa won it, I guess, do you think Dean Smith might've been given more time in two Looking back at the first few months, I mean, do you really feel like, I don't know, do you feel like Villa were hard done by, or again, like I said, was it catching up with other sides or was it just kind of being unprepared in some kind of way? Um, well, Tom, the first point, um, would he have been given more time had we won that game? I think he probably would have because I think it, even at, at the time after that game, I remember I remember the five of us in the WhatsApp group sort of chatting. And I think we all had the sense that he was he was probably going to lose his job after that defeat. I and mean, that was that the fifth or sixth defeat in a row. Um, but even even in that defeat, I, I do remember the second half, although there was a clear lack of quality, they, there wasn't a lack of effort. So he didn't, you know, I don't feel at any stage that he'd like, quote-unquote, lost the dressing room. So... I think had we got a positive result in that game, I think I think he probably would have been given more time because I don't think it was like there was a 
they were desperate to get rid of him. I really think the boards really would have liked to have to have given him as much of an opportunity as they could have done. Um, and then you sort of looking at the those first couple of months of the season, as I sort of said earlier, they, they, those first two months, August, September, I don't think was a, a terrible start. You know, there's a couple of iffy results and they're like the Watford away, obviously, and Brentford at home. You, you kind of would expect three points from that. But then, again, you know, there was, there was some decent performances in there. I think the biggest turning point in that run was that Wolves game. You know, we were 2-0 up with 10, 15 minutes to go. And in real control of that game, because Wolves were, were dreadful that day. And, and like you said, I still don't... I It would take me a long time to work out how they won that match. And it just... I think that just completely knocked the stuffing out of us. And the players... I think we've discussed before that there's, there's kind of... I'm going to say that the players are mentally weak, but there's certainly a fragility within that, within a number of players in that squad. And I think the manner of that defeat really had an effect, that a real, a real negative effect that, that shouldn't have lasted as long as it did. And I think that's what kind of derailed everything um, for Dean Smith. And then, you know, eventually, you know, we all know what happened. But if, if we win that Wolves game, I I think Smith's probably still the manager myself. You said um sorry, I just wanna like pick up on it. I just wanna raise something to you. You said that like, you know, you don't think he lost the dressing room at that point, but this was a thing that kept on happening, which was like they came out every single game in the first half, and then to an extent it carried on into Gerard as well. They'd come out every game in that first half and you just knew there was a mistake there that they had to get out of the way. It was almost like they thought that like they were on the pitch and they weren't ready for it. The other team would come out looking so intense with a purpose about them. It almost looked like the the Villa and the Villa players just rolling onto the pitch. And inevitably, in football, if you're not the team that are affecting, if you're not the team that are you know causing, you know you're going to have basically you're going to have it done to you. That's that's I think you know when it comes to football mentality and when it comes to like winning mentality, that's like the, that's the main thing. You've got to go out there with a purpose, but there was a lot of those second halves mm. where Villa would come out and they'd rally and they'd run and they'd try a little bit harder, but there was nothing there. And there was no, um, yeah, there was no sort of substance to it. And that kept on happening under Smith. And so with that Tottenham game, with them running out onto the pitch and, giving it their all or whatever it was in the second half it's like it's a little bit too late like why why didn't you do that from the start so you know maybe yeah. maybe it was a little bit of like oh crap you know we don't want to do this to dean but like it, it what that it wasn't there before yeah i mean there were, i think that's it there was definitely there was definitely something not right but i don't a team, you know, when 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 you know managers, when you you've, you see it before, when you know they say, "Oh, he, he's lost the dressing room," whatever, you, you can clearly see it from the players because they just completely down tools. And I don't think there was ever an element of that. You can certainly say that there was a, a complete complete lack of quality and lack of belief at times. But I don't, I didn't personally think there was ever a lack of of efforts or that they. There was, I never got the sense that they thought, oh, I've given up on this manager, I'm not going to try. As I say, the, the lack of quality was clearly there in, in during that time. I had a real lack of belief and a mental fragility. But, I, yeah, I, just, I, 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 I never got the feeling that, they, that they'd sort of given up. I'm not, maybe I was going to say that they'd given up faith in Smith. Maybe, that, maybe they kind of had, but they... But they still, I think, liked him and respects him. So we're we're trying. But if you've not got maybe that belief that he's the right man to be there, then that has a, an effect on the performances. I don't know. They didn't, didn't believe in themselves, though. They didn't think they could do it, did they? They didn't yeah. think they could. They, you know, they they didn't think that they were. And it carried on all throughout the season because we still we still didn't do well against the top six teams. 
um throughout yeah. i know that's maybe a topic for later on but like they, they still never looked like they believed they could go out there and get a result like they knew something was going to happen to them and they were nervous they were a bag of nerves man it was it was around about that time where mings was just like all of <laughs> yeah um but where and where where did that come from though because last season the season before okay admittedly there were no fans there but we got results against big you know the the, the top teams, the, the teams that we didn't get results against this time. And I know Grealish wasn't there, but you can't, that's, surely that cannot something, just all be down to having that. Something changed, man. I think they were, I think they were used to winning in the championship. I think Dean Smith tweaked some stuff like, you know, in the first season where um, they, they got the defending right. Uh, and it was a lot of focus. It was a lot of effort, but I don't know. I think that second season, do, do you remember, um, was there a COVID break? And we came yes. out like not not like not in sort. And I think that was the season before. We never seemed the same after that. Like since then, like you see, because you don't you know you know, people tend to forget this. The second half of the season before this season, we were terrible. We never quite recovered. Yeah, that was when um the Liverpool FA Cup game we had uh, we had to play the kids in that, didn't we? Because there was a COVID outbreak in the first team squad, and yeah, we never really recovered from that. Which is crazy when you think about, yeah. it. you know. But they, yeah. but it, it's almost like they lost that, they lost that belief. They were never the same team that beat Liverpool seven two. Um, but but yeah, I don't know. I think I think with with Smith in the end, you know, his language changed, didn't it? You know, it, it stopped becoming about challenging to get into Europe. It started becoming, you know, let's um, be realistic here. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> When and the reality was that look, we just signed Bailey, Buendia, and Dings. We spent a lot of money. We can't be losing five games in a row. Oh, absolutely. Here, here's a little quiz. Of course, if I, if I can scroll down and find it quick enough, do you know who Dean Smith's final substitutions were against Southampton? Because I feel like this says a lot. This he he tried because I remember now he tried. He gave something a go, didn't he? Yes. Um, it was like. It was like there was only two. I'll team. give you that. So one of them was Chukwameka, wasn't it? Well, I'll, I'll you give me your predictions. Simon can give me his, and then I'll tell you. Okay, I believe I think it was Chukwameka, and um, there was one more because <laughs> he tried, and and I remember thinking, okay, this is um a breath of fresh air. Was it Sanson and Chukwameka? Simon, what are your predictions? Well, I'd assume. If he didn't, oh no, I was going to say El Ghazi, but I don't know if he started the game. Okay, I've got a vague m- memory of El Ghazi should have been sent off for some outrageous dives in that game, but I can't remember if that was as a start as a sub. So I'll say that he brought El Ghazi on and I don't know, Danny Ings. It was Jacob Ramsey and Keenan Davis. Oh, was it? Wow. Yeah, El Ghazi <laughs> started. He almost got he got the yellow card, I think, almost right away, and then almost got should probably been sent off. So the starting lineup that day was Martinez, Cash, Tuanzebe, Mings, Target, midfield, Nakamba, McGinn, uh, Bailey, Buendia, El Ghazi, and Watkins. Because I remember at one point we had Watkins, Davis. We basically had like four strikers basically on the pitch. I felt like at one point it was like a four-two-four. I do remember that. And that I think Keenan Davis was the final substitution of uh, Dean Smith's career, which is very kind of fitting. With <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like it was like he never gave the guy a chance as well. And the thing was that there would be so many games where he was just like leaving players on the bench. There would be like the 80th minute once once we go like one nil down to, I don't know, Newcastle or something. It would be like, OK, crap, maybe we should start attacking now. Yeah, but have we ever really solved that? I feel like I don't, I don't know. Like I, I get the substitution thing, but I think feel like we still have that argument under Jared. I feel like we've had that it's under not, every manager. I think it's was, just a self kind of like guided thing where fans nah. go like make it the change now. No, 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 Bruce, Bruce, Bruce didn't listen. To Bruce, I, he wasn't a perfect manager, but that Bruce, guy, Bruce, if he wasn't working, Christopher Samba up top, Danny. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, at least he tried something. I'm saying, I'm saying, Bruce, Bruce. Bruce did, in all fairness, throw someone on, man. He'd give it a go. He'd tweak things if it wasn't working. Granted, I don't think he knew what he was doing. Didn't he put Alan Hunt in that right mid or something once? I can't even remember. Yeah, probably, man. Probably. But, like, I think Gerard's better at it slightly. I don't think he's he's great at it. I think think 
for the record, Gerard's substitutions completely ruined the last game of the season. <laughs> but uh, I think he's better than Smith at it because Smith Smith just didn't tweak at all. Um, no, and it got worse progressively worse the closer it got to the sacking basically during that five game losing streak essentially um i mean it, it's pretty i mean bringing on jacob ramsey is obviously a, a good substitution no matter what but you could just tell with the moves that are being made and i mean this was also during the period i think at one point he dropped mings as well didn't he so i mean if anything you can tell there's a little bit of a shuffle that's just not working but of course, now there is a little bit of break-in in the season in November before we play Brighton. And, of course, you had what Ralph Hassan, who was linked, and um, I think the Danish national team manager was linked, and, um, of course, yeah, Graham Potter was linked that. as well. Um, it's it, it's funny to sit back and look, and Stevie G as well, but I don't think many people thought that would actually happen. But, Danny, going back to November, I know we did a podcast. I can't remember if you were on that one for the Jared announcement, just general thoughts around it, but kind of reflecting on it now, where kind of we were at that moment in time, how do you feel about that appointment now? Yeah, I know it's clear that the board wanted to bring in someone who had ambition, someone who wanted to like, you know, push the club further. Like I think, I, I, I really do think that the club got it right, got it right with Dean Smith. You know, there's been times where I've doubted Gerard a little bit, but like never really to the point of where I thought that the club made the wrong decision. I think that, you know, it was, it was a big risk that they, you know, hoped it would pay off. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of other managers out there who you could go for, who are already kind of like tied to tied to clubs, um, you know, the Haas and Hootles and whatnot. But with Gerard, I think the club looked at a guy that they thought, look, this guy, maybe, you know, he's not, he's not been in the Premier League before. Um, and, He's an unknown quantity almost, but the potential's there. And the name is there. You know, we're seeing the Gerard name working out there. You know, we've got a, he's he had his own ready-made team to bring along with him to kind of get set uh get set in the team. You know, some very respected coaches, Gary McAllister, Michael Beale. And I think, you know, looking back at it, even then I was, I mean, I wasn't too excited, but I thought, you know, what's the worst that could happen? As long as he doesn't get us relegated, then you know, we can kind of reevaluate at the end of the season. Because I think. Uh, we just needed somebody who was going to lift the club a little bit, who was going to make them work harder. And, and that was the main thing immediately where Gerard came in and even the players were talking about it. The intensity in training sessions was completely different, completely upper level. And when you're talking about the Premier League, you want that, you want intensity. You need your players working really, really hard because there's, you know, the other teams are doing it as well. And uh, I think Gerard came in as someone who, you know, whilst Dean Smith's been, you know, more experienced as a manager, what you've got in Gerard is somebody who's, been to the absolute top he knows what it means to win a champions league you know he hasn't won a title but he knows what it means to win a title i'd say um and it was just exciting to have that kind of a player that kind of excitement that kind of buzz back around the club because there was a lot of buzz around it and there still is you know villa are very very relevant now and are very much involved in these conversations when it comes to big players like who'd have thought he was going to manage to bring in coutinho you know, no Dean Smith would not have been able to bring him in, and that's not that's not um that's not a diss to him. There's there's not many managers in the league that would have been able to bring in Coutinho. There are clubs that might have been able to bring in Coutinho, but Coutinho is not moving to Newcastle because of Eddie Howe. Yeah, is what that, I'm to say. That, that, that's very true. Actually, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. It's very well put. But Simon, of course, Jared coming in in November and. I, I, of course, social media is filled with loads of different opinions. And let's be honest, most of them are just downright nonsensical. Um, kind of sitting back on it, though, looking at it, how did you feel around that time? And were there any concerns, I guess, of him being kind of a kind of Frank Lampard-esque? Because I, I mean, I don't think I'll ever rate that man as a manager, but your thoughts? I mean, no, I, I didn't have... I worry that he'd be quite Frank Lampard because at least Gerard showed that Rangers that he was a capable manager. Now, you know, he won a league title there. You can argue about the quality of the league in Scotland, but Rangers, the position they were in when he took over to the position that he left them in, it was, it was you know, it was quite quite a big achievement, really, what, what he did there in, in a short space of time. So it was clear that, to me, that, that you know... <laughs> 
he's Lampard and Gerald are always compared as players, but I think his managers are the world's apart and also the coaching team that he had around him is quite highly respected and well thought of. So from that point of view, there wasn't like a huge concern regarding that. But obviously it is a gamble because he's he's a very inexperienced manager. He's only been a he's only been a manager for three seasons and it's you know it it, it is different managing in Scotland to managing in England. Um so yeah you you've always you've always got that concern. My my issue at the time to an extent, you still have that feeling now because he remains to be seen what he'll do. Is but at the time, I remember thinking, I don't know how much of an upgrade Gerrard's is to Smith that it was worth necessarily sacking Smith. Now, obviously, you know you 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 go on to what sort of happened for Man this season, as Danny's just pointed out there. The greatest respect in the world to Dean Smith, who I loved and I still have a great deal of time for. Philip Coutinho is not an Aston Villa player if Dean Smith is still the manager. Luca Dean probably isn't. Kamara probably is Like, no, it's not like, like Danny said, he's not like, not to diss Smith, but the players that Gerard signs probably would not be Aston Villa players had if Gerard was not the manager. So, I think from that point of view, you, you kind of you have to say that it was a, it was a good appointment from from that sort of brand's point of view, which I, you hate using those that type of terminology when it comes to football. But the reality is, if you want to be a top club, you've and you know make that big money, you've got to have a global brand these days. And Steven Gerrard's is a huge name in world he's one of the biggest names in world football so in terms of raising the profile of Aston Villa to get get the club to where the owners clearly want to get us if you look at the managers that we could have realistically got in at the time I'm not sure if there was a bigger name in world football that we would have been able to have got in to manage the football club so you can kind of you can see you can see why the owners made the appointment that they did, and like I sort of said before, I think there are signs that there's a that there's a good manager in there. Like he's he's done a number of things well this season, but so obviously still got a lot of stuff to learn. But that's to be expected, as you know. Said he's he's a very young manager, but he's certainly ambitious and he's got a huge winning mentality and drive, which. You know, we we need to, to 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 get us to that sort of next level, and I think it'll be really beneficial for the players and the squad as well. So, yeah, it's still still work to be done, but you could even even when we made the appointment, I you could see the benefits if what they hope would happen might happen. You, you could see the thinking behind that appointments. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, um, I had an article go up on the website around this time, um, kind of giving a little bit of a Q&A with a, a Rangers fan and um, his general consensus. And I mean, around their fan base was they're absolutely gutted. Um, they've lost somebody that's basically came in um, with an ownership group that basically wanted someone that will provide all the outlay, will improve the training facility and all that kind of stuff and basically have a no excuse kind of policy for success. And I mean, Steven Gerrard was a, a major reason for why, in my opinion, Rangers got to a, a Europa league final um, and, and did so well, of course. And he really built on that. Of course, uh, the, the last season before he left, they, I think did they go undefeated or something very close to that. So um, I mean, to, to top Celtic is no mean feat when it's basically been a one horse race for nearly probably a decade, it feels like. So you go into that and you think, I don't know. I remember, I remember talking to Tom and Tom probably won't mind me saying this, but he was very hesitant and, and maybe more than slightly underwhelmed by it, kind of questioning it. And I feel like as Villa fans, it's very, very normal. I mean, Christ, look at the last decade plus and you sit back and... Yeah, I, I mean, it's just one of those things that you go, you sit back and look at and think like, oh, is this just another, I wouldn't say Remy Gard-esque, but it just gives that vibe of, is this, 
it's a, it's a gamble, I guess is the best way to say it, but um, to kind of roll on with the results of the season at that point back in November, of course, playing Brighton next. And I think a lot of people are thinking, you know what, if he loses his first game, this is just going to go from even bad to worse. And of course, Villa came away two nil winners. It was just kind of jets getting started and we're off to the races beating Brighton or not Brighton, sorry, beating Crystal Palace two one away from home to cap off November running Man City very, very close. And I feel like that's where a lot of fans started to believe in the side again and think, you know what, um, it could be a managerial boost. And I think a lot of people kind of probably admitted that, but at the same time, it seems like he's getting a little bit more out of certain players that we haven't seen. Of course, beating Leicester two one, losing one nil to Liverpool, um, away, which I mean, I still think that Danny Ings show could have been a penalty quite easily. But anyways, beating Dean Smith away at home just a month, just I think just a month after he was sacked. Very weird. 2-0 there, losing 3-1 to Chelsea. And then heading into the new year, of course, 2-1 loss to Brentford, losing 1-0 to United. I mean, we all know Felipe Coutinho came in in January and Luca Dean is, did as well. And I mean, kind of going back into that United game on January 15th, Danny, 2-0 down. I mean, how are you feeling at that point? Because I feel like a lot of people were concerned that we were going on another potentially losing run here that's considerable. And I mean, to potentially go five on the bounce in terms of losing twice in one season is not good for any team. But just kind of going into that game, then you're 2-0 down. How are you feeling at that point? Because... I know how I was feeling. Yeah, no, I think um, I think for me it was kind of that realization that like, look, might be a new manager, and uh, he might have these ideas, but at the end of the day, it's still the same squad. You cannot, you know, it's that whole saying again: Rome was not built in a night. And the thing, and the thing with Gerard is like, um, you know, I think there was there was always that doubt. There was always that little bit of doubt that. Can this guy do it in the Premier League? Has that managerial bounce kind of gone? Uh, so at two 0 down, it was a little bit, um, it was a little bit demoralising. But also, I think at that point, our priorities did kind of look like avoiding relegation. <laughs> I guess we kind of thought in our heads, look, we've still got January, so let's just see what. Um, Let's just see what we can do. But during that match, yeah, it was it was a depressing one, but we just never beat United, do we? So I wasn't really too surprised. Well, yeah, and you sit back and think to even get a point of that, that comeback was absolutely remarkable. And again, it's kind of a theme of our season, it feels like, especially under Steven Gerrard. We kind of have a little bit of an uptick and then a downtick, and it's really just kind of up and down, up and down. There's real consistency. I guess that's the most consistent probably theme in the season when you look at these results. Uh, beating Everton next away, Buendia scoring that um, header, which I still find funny because he's literally the smallest player on the pitch. Um, drawing three all to leads in February. How we didn't win 9-3. That was probably the worst defending I've ever seen for an opposition showing up to Villa Park. Like the fact that we did not score more and we conceded three to that crap team is just blows my mind. Of course, here comes the downtick where I think a lot of people um, got on Jared's back quite early, of course, losing one nil to Newcastle and then to Watford. I mean, I think that Watford game was probably the worst 90 minutes of football from a Villa side I have seen in a long time. And I, I think a lot of people remember the 15, 16 season where there was a lot of that. I, I think that probably throws into that category because that was brutal. Of course, then somehow going on another uptick, beating Brighton. We just had their number this season, 2-0. Smashing Southampton 4-0 was completely unexpected. Beating Leeds 3-0, which to be fair, that was expected. And then, I mean, Simon, we kind of went on another little bit of a losing streak. Four losses on the bounce, 2-1 to West Ham, 1-0 to Arsenal, uh, 2-1 to Wolves, 4-0 to Spurs. Then you're going into the Leicester game at the near the end of April, and you're thinking, oh, God, we're, we have the potential here to go on another five-game losing streak. And when is this kind of inconsistency going to stop eventually? I mean, going into that Leicester game, we all know it ended nil-nil now, of course, but... 
how are you feeling going into that one? Because I remember sitting there thinking, if we lose this, I wouldn't say we're in a spot of bother with Premier League security, but I mean, the morale of losing five games on the balance twice would be just horrific, in my opinion. Yeah, it wouldn't have been great, would it? I mean, yeah, it's, I, th- I think you, you sort of summed up there that in terms of the biggest problem we had this season, I, I, I think that we've had since under Gerald, especially, is just it's it's always been streaks, hasn't it? It's, it's been three or four really good results in the road and three or four really bad results in the road. If you, if you took a spell of eight games, four wins in a row followed by four defeats in the road, when you get to that fourth defeat in a row, people start getting really angry and panicky. If you split that eight games into, say, two wins and defeats, win two defeats, win two defeats, it doesn't look... It doesn't feel as, as bad as four defeats in a row, even though it's the same set of results over eight games. So I think... I think that kind of gives a false impression maybe of, of how things are going because you look at those four defeats, it's West Ham, Arsenal, Wolves and Tottenham. Other than Wolves who really tailed off, you know, West Ham, Arsenal and Tottenham are better teams than us. So you can look at maybe the performances in some of those games and be annoyed, but you can't can't say they're not expected to win those games. So sometimes I think it's diff- as difficult as it can be because, as I said earlier on this pod, you know, it is an emotional game. You have emotional reactions. Sometimes there needs to be some context taken into it. And you look at that Tottenham defeat, which was the last one in that run. That's, again, another one of those games that you kind of... I'm still sort of scratching my head thinking, how have we lost that 4-0? Because, like, certainly for good... No, for... In that first half, especially, we could have been four-one up at halftime. We we absolutely battered them in that first half. So, kind of, I I never ever felt at any stage in, during that period that we were in any danger of getting sucked into anything because you just I could some of the fixtures coming up with say Norwich at home and two games against Burnley, Crystal Palace at home. You look to them thinking, well, there's there's fixtures there that you can get points in. We you know we. We've got good players that are capable of turning it around, but I can see I can see how the sections of the fan base could maybe get a little concerned. It was just it's just frustrating. Some some of the performances in there, like for me, the biggest the biggest two disappointments were the back to back defeats to Newcastle and Watford because the, because the performances were dreadful in those two games. You're like that's not like a loss to say in Arsenal or West Ham where you go, well, you know, sometimes you've got to hold your hands up and say the better team beat you. Those two were really poor performances. Um, but yes, it, you know, like we've kind of said, it's it's just, it's, it's a difficult season to like really have a proper judgment on and, and there's, there's no, it's, it's not as black and white as, as it, as some people might think it is when you're trying to look at results, analyze resources. There's so much, I think there's so much context that that's got to be taken into account with some of the, the runs that we've been on. Do you know what's funny though, Simon? Like um, when you mentioned the streaks, mm. I, I don't know if any of you guys noticed it, but obviously like fans who aren't Villa fans, a lot of them, Liverpool fans obviously keep a close eye on Gerard and, and everything. Um, it's hilarious. Like they, they all seem so very sort of partisan on, on how Villa are doing. And it's because it's because people only ever see the runs, right? People only yeah. ever see the four defeats in a row or the three wins out of four or whatever. And there's a lot of those. You get people either going, oh, Gerard's doing incredibly for you, isn't he? <laughs> or you get the people who go, oh, Gerard, I don't know. It's, wheels are sort of come off. And it's like, it's constantly changing. It's the same people. It's like, you know. Yeah. It's it's very, very hard to, to wrap your head around how a team can do that. But that's sport, you know, and that's what, to me, makes it seem as though what Villa need is leadership. It's, for me, this is why I think it's a mentality thing, because when they're playing well, they can get it together. And they can just about kind of pick up the results together. But when it goes badly, there does seem to be this total panic where like Tyrone Mings and, and Esri Konza, who have been elite centre-backs for us in the past, um, can end up looking sort of very, very brittle. 
and it's not just them. It's it's them, you know, it's, it, it's part of it is the midfield. Um, and, and some games you look at them and you see them pressing and pressing and pressing and, you know, do, doing everything they can to win the 50-50s. Other games, you kind of see them very far away from each other. And I think Gerard's kind of helped that, helped that kind of come together. But the other point I just wanted to make, Simon, was, you know, you, you mentioned some of these teams that, yeah, you know, Villa shouldn't be expected to beat West Ham, Tottenham and Arsenal. But the problem for me has been this season is that, look, you you, you have to win some of the games that you're not expected yeah. to win, right? You have to win some of them because you're not going to win. And certainly Villa didn't. You're not going to win all the games that you're expected to win. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's, that's the issue, right? If you beat Burnley twice in a season, beat Norwich twice in a season, beat Watford twice in a season, um, you know, Brighton, Southampton, whoever it is, fine. Um, but you're not going to do that at the end of the day. Yeah. That's what the Premier League's like. And, and that's why you've got to be able to take points off the top four or the top six or whatever it is. And that's why you can't be 2-0 up against these teams and, and start losing 3-2. Because if you do it once, you set a precedent. And, and you know, you can't, yeah, you just can't be doing that. Absolutely. Well, you know, we'll, we'll get to that result here. Might as well do it now. I'll just run through the rest of them just to kind of keep up with the theme. Of course, like I said, a, a nil-nil draw against Leicester away, beating uh, Norwich City 2-0 or at home, I should say, at Villa Park. And of course, relegating them with how results went um, in other areas of the country. Uh, heading into May, of course, this month, um, 3-1 win to Burnley, losing 2-1 to Liverpool, uh, beating, or sorry, drawing to Palace, which I don't know, that one still bugs me, to be honest, because I th- thought we should have won that. Same thing against a one-all draw against Burnley. I-, I know they were fighting for their lives at that point, but again, there was goals to be had and we just didn't take it. Again, another theme of so many opportunities and just not taking them. And of course, like Danny just referenced, um, a 3-2 a loss to Manchester City to hand them the title uh, 2-0 up and just kind of gave it away as soon as well I think most of us can agree and I know when I was speaking to Tom he basically said as soon as um, he and the rest of the folks at the North American Villa meetup um, saw the first city goal 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 go in they just kind of knew that a collapse was on its way and whether that's because people believe it's just city being city or it's typical old villa I guess I can go either way but um, for me, it's probably a, a 60 40 split towards the villa end of that that one based on things I've seen in, in my, uh, I guess, lifetime as, as a villa fan. But guys, to kind of give the season a grade, I know it's hard with so many different memories. But Simon, if you were to give the season a grade, um, we'll, we'll do a letter grade here, I guess. Um, with, I guess, we'll say an F being a fail and an A plus being the best possibility. Where would you sit? I'd probably go for a C. I, I don't. I think it's been an average season. So yeah, C probably covers that. I, I think as we finish, as we so as we finish a couple of places higher, like it, I think if we'd have finished say eleventh and match what we did last season, I'd have probably gone for a B because I think that to match what we did last season and consolidate again, I'd. I think you know that that's that's a successful season when you consider the managerial change and obviously the sale of Greenish in the summer and sort of a bit of a turnaround, a bit of a turnover in, in the squad. But I think I think just falling short of that and finishing 14th and to have Palace, Brentford, Newcastle, and Brighton all finish above us. I don't think you can say it's any better than an average season at best. So, yeah, I'll go for a C. Fair enough. Danny, how about you? Man, I kind of want to give it a C plus or a B minus. Um, I think I'm going to go for... So, if you're going to go purely on results, then obviously, like, you're probably you're, you're probably looking at a C. Um, I'd say D would have been just narrowly avoiding relegation and E would be relegation. But the reason why I say C plus or B minus is because I think that Villa have moved forward as a club and the stature of the club has has become better. You know, and you can you, you generally you'd say that you do that through results. Um, but I think through the signing of Coutinho, through bringing in Steven Gerrard, you know, expanding the brand, signing up, signing players like Dean, I think the squad looks in such a better 
such a better position than it did before. Essentially, Jack Grealish left and a new era began where you had, you know, a lot of championship players, championship level players, maybe. I wouldn't say we had a championship level squad, but you, had, you kind of had a lower, lower to mid-table Premier League squad plus one very good player. Whereas now what Villa have is multiple very good players um, that need a preseason to gel, I think, is where, is where we're at. That squad, that squad has, has, has gotten so much better and we've also brought through more young players, the likes of Jacob Ramsey. We're seeing Tim Eric Boonham come through. Um, we've seen Cameron Archer come through. A lot of positive things have happened this season. So I'll say that, yeah, I'm going to give it a B minus, actually. I think, I think we made the right appointment with Gerard, and I think hopefully we'll see the fruits of it next season. Oh, fair enough. Um, I guess I'll kind of sit in the middle. Um, the reason I'm going for a C plus is kind of what you guys referenced. I mean, when you look at the first half under Dean Smith, I mean, I guess it's another debate for another day in terms of do people think he would have turned it around or not? But I mean, at the end of the day, he's not signing Luca Dean or Coutinho, let's be honest. Um, who knows what that January window really would have looked like. Um, and then of course, with Steven Gerrard kind of coming in, I, I think there's a stat out there somewhere. I don't know if it was exactly kind of still accurate at the end of the season, but just on his results alone, I think we'd be like eighth or ninth or something like that. So, I mean, I don't really like sticking to those because I feel like they don't tell the full story as well. I think it kind of, you have to look at a literally a whole season when possible and look at all the three, the themes throughout, but I mean, I, I feel like there's definitely room for improvement. If we did finish maybe even 12th or again, 11th, then I would definitely bump that up, probably do a B minus B plus and anything above that would have got higher. But I mean, and Danny, you referenced last season as well. I mean, we were probably, we definitely punched above our weight, but last season, I mean, aside from being behind closed doors was just very, very odd. I mean, what did we finish with like 55 points? This, if we had 55 points this season, we would have been eighth. Um, if that's the case, and we would have been that's a point crazy. off seventh. It, like that just shows to me that, in my opinion, there was clearly players, and not to name names, that benefited from a lack of pressure from the fan base and kind of outside noise when you're in a, a close surrounding kind of area or stadium, I guess they could say, as the one thing. And I, I think the other thing, it was just a lot of very, very poor teams last season more than usual where it's a little bit more balanced at the bottom like I think the bottom three was basically decided or the bottom two was essentially decided like months and months before I think Sheffield United basically relegated in like February if not before it felt like um, with Fulham and West Brom basically right there already too so I, I think that's important to remember too but I don't know like you can throw that at that and maybe Villa surprising a lot of sides with the key additions they made last season. And then coming into this season, you kind of thought, you know what, there's a few more key additions and I don't know, the jury's still out really on every single addition we made last summer. It feels like for the most part, I think we had the best January transfer window probably in history um, of the club, to be honest. So we'll have to wait and see how things play out, but I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. I I I have no issues making that a statement. What about, um, I, th- I think a close one surely has to be, and is this right? Correct me, guys, if I'm wrong. Please don't um, say the Ash- Alan Hutton one. Was it? No, 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 no. <laughs> Ashley Young, John Carew, Sean Maloney? Yeah, they all came in yeah, January 2007, I think it was. That was, that was a pretty good one, to be fair. Yeah. Because Young and Carew became yeah. solid, like proper sort of taking us to the top six. True. I think it's just the Coutinho factor that like really shocked everybody. I I don't know. Maybe you'll look back in five years and still kind of consider that um, window with crew and young and Maloney, maybe kind of ranked a little bit higher, but we'll have to wait and see. I mean, hell if we're, if we're in a a top 10 position next season, I think we'll quickly write that off, but we'll have to wait and see. And I I guess before we wrap things up, guys, I I do want to ask two questions. It's, I mean, there's been so many things this season that have happened and we've discussed, but Simon, to put you under the hot seat first, could I get your favorite and least favorite moment of the season? 
or worst or best, whatever, how you want to word it? Um, probably the best one was, I think, probably the win at Old Trafford. Um, just because we we just never win at Old Trafford. I think that's only the second time in my life that we've won in a, a league game at Old Trafford. So it's it's such an, uh, an unusual occurrence and to, to get such a late a late goal and then concede the penalty a few minutes later and you think, oh, it's just never going to happen, is it? And then for Fernandes to blaze it, you know, into orbit and Martinez's little dance. So I think that was probably my favourite moment of the season. Uh, the least one, I think the, the least favourite moment was, was Dean Smith being sacked, actually. And that, that's, you know, I, I think in the long-term future, it, it was probably something that was going to happen because I think Danny mentioned earlier that I, I think he was never the guy long-term to really push us to that level. But just from a sort of fan point of view and, uh, you know, from like an emotional point of view, it was, it was something that I think we all felt was coming, but it, it was just, it was just really sad because, you know, I, he did so much for the club and being a Villa fan as well, I, there was a real connection there. So it was, it, yeah, that was the worst moment for me because it, it, it was just sad to, to see him go, even though it, it probably needed to happen. Absolutely. Danny? Give us your best and your worst, sir. Uh, yeah, no, I think actually the the United game is one that I'd, I'd agree with. I was just thinking, like, uh, if it wasn't Courtney House's header, it was Bruno Fernandes skying it. Um, but I think the maybe a close second is um, the two all at, against United as well, when Coutinho came off the bench and, and completely changed the game. For me, that was like kind of, I think that was the start really of Villa 2.0. That was the start of. Of, of Gerard's real managerial ship because up until that point, obviously he was working with Dean Smith's team. At that point, we knew what um, his Villa was going to be all about. Now, granted, I don't think Villa had that many of had that many more comebacks throughout the season, <laughs> but um, I think it was just a little taste of what's to come, and that's maybe sort of made me kind of feel a little bit more uh, optimistic, I guess, for the future. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I now watch filler games thinking anything can happen. So that's that's one thing. Uh, in terms of the worst moment, I think it's the City game. I genuinely think it was that last game of the season because I think that we had a huge, huge opportunity there with sort of the eyes of the entire Premier League fan base, the eyes of the world on us to show what Aston Villa was about and to show what you know we were about as a team. You know, with everybody watching Manchester City to see if they'd fall you know, to watch them perhaps even win the title. We could have spoiled the party. We could have really done something. And we really could have announced our, announced ourselves as a, as a major European sort of side that, that's going to compete next season. Look, you know, you see what we're all about already, you know, with the transfers that we made. Bubakar Kamara, Diego Carlos, Coutinho. We clearly want to be up there. But that game really sort of tempered um, what the expectations for this for this club should be because it was a it was a reminder that we're we're not quite there yet. But to to go 2-0 up with, and then have it all disappear within five minutes. Yeah, that was that for me was awful. Because I can't even that I can't even watch Villa sort of a, a game later and see them make up for it or see them react to that. That that is gonna be my standing moment, my standing memory of the season. Um, that's how we said goodbye. That's how we. That's how we ended it. So that it has to be that for me because we're now going to have to. And, I, and I've said this before, right? I work. Um, I work editing highlights of football matches sometimes, right? If I'm still doing that in one, two, three, four, five years time, I'm going to have to keep on flipping, remembering that match, and keep on bringing it back up again. My favorite because memory, it, Danny, sorry to cut in, is you messaging, I don't know if it was a group chat or me, going, I have to freaking edit all this grealish crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is this is it. This is what I'm saying. No, no, no. I look, look, look. Can I can I just say Grealish leaving at the start at the end of this at the start of the season? People might have said, people might have said uh that was the worst moment of the season. 
I'm past that man. Good on him. He want he went he went to Man City. He wanted to win a title. He proved himself. Um, he went went ahead and did it. Yeah, you can question you know his contribution, but whatever, man. I don't think he cares. Like he went and he won that title. Fair play to him. We're on a different journey, and we're better off without him right now. That's just the way it is. Um, because you know football is a money money uh, motivated game. You've got to you've got to move players on to bring players in. ETC, ETC. So uh, yeah, man. Look, City won the title against us, and but but for me, it was just it was just the manner of that defeat. I just didn't. If it was Liverpool, if it was if it was them, if it was Man United, if it was any other side, and and we'd we'd given up a two 0 lead in five minutes. For me, it's just like yeah, look, we're losers here. Like we are we are that part of another team's story, and and that's not what I want for for the club. I know the, the the fellow was probably up for at least 24 hours at this point, but didn't he call Bernardo Silva like being as worse as Miguel Almiron or something like that? I can't remember exactly. Yeah, he had his Ivan Tony moment, man, I guess. <laughs> it, it's not a pretty one. Um, if I'm going to say best and worst, um, a, a runner-up for me would be the, the El Ghazi Panenka. Um, I, I think just against Barrow, I just, I, just the audacity to be like, you know what? I'm a Premier League player and I'm going to absolutely shit on your <laughs> about that. <laughs> is probably a, a runner up for me. Um, if anything, I, I feel like I should make it the one, but I, I think my favorite moment, weirdly enough, and as annoying as it was, like I said earlier, was that three all draw against Leeds. I mean, as crap as Leeds and shambolic as they are defending, just how free flowing everything was and just how deadly. And it was so exciting. Every attack we had was like, honestly, that whole game, you were on the edge of your seat. And I mean, as much as it's a three all draw that we should have won. um, I don't know. I just, I don't really recall too many games this season where I enjoyed watching a game of football that much. And uh, it, it was one hell of a one to watch. Maybe that's just, how ex- as exciting as an individual I am. I don't know if that makes me sad, whatever, but uh, that that's, that's me, I guess. And then I, I guess as the, the worst, I just, I, I don't know, again, maybe this is weird, but that three, one loss to Arsenal really, really pissed me off. Of course, at that point, I think we were, we beaten them three times in a row, of course, um, going into the, um, the uh, final few games of our uh, survival season, beating them, um, home and away last season. And I just always felt like when we did the double over them um, the previous season, a, a lot of the kind of storyline and the, the mentality was we're doing this for Emmy and all this kind of stuff like that. And I don't know, I just, for me, that, that loss was the sign of a lot of things. It kind of felt like we hung him out to dry in a game that melt meant so much to him to prove it against his former side and I don't know, that was just one of those matches where you could tell that things were starting to unravel. And I'll be honest when I say this, I think there's a lot of arrogance around Arsenal. And for whatever reason, we just showed them way too much respect when we, I, in my honest opinion, we could have beaten them. And uh, it is what it is with that performance. But that just, I don't know, that put a really sour taste. And there's a lot of that. I mean, the city result at the end of the at the end of the season is one that's going to be very interesting going into next season to see how they react, but um, and see who we play first. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. But um, guys, I, I think we'll wrap things up there. We've definitely been going for more than long enough, and I know it's a a late evening for you guys, so we'll we'll leave it there. And of course, I would have loved to have uh, Seb and Tom here as well because I did compose a rap like I did at the end of last season. Um, shout out to Courtney Hawes and the Hawes's Boss rap. Um, we will not be doing a rap unfortunately today. I want everyone to be here, so I'll have to make that happen soon. Um, hopefully Tom and Seb feel better. Um, it's an ode to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the extended version, not the quick little version you get when you watch the intro. You're worse um, than Kanye, Cole. This is all This is all you do, man. You just put things off. I, I do put, put things, things off. off and, and it's never going to come out. Um, we're going to have to find it into, like on leaks on YouTube. <laughs> well, you're, gonna, you're going to uh, not hear it for a year. I'm going to come out with my own shoe line charge way too much money um call them cheesies or something i don't even know 
um and we'll have to go from there but anyways just a a massive thank you i know i did this uh kind of briefly on the the recap post uh city but to simon danny that are here right now thank you guys very much for your support this season it's been very much appreciated um i mean first and foremost danny's been here longer than i have and he still shows up so he must like me somewhat um and he's definitely he's definitely saved the day more than once when um we didn't have people on hand or we had nothing else to do during lockdown. And I feel like this was our, our therapy. And of course, shortly after Simon came along and thought, you know what, how can I spice this little zesty podcast up with some of my own bald flavor? Well, he just did that. So he's been a, a very fantastic addition and always has great input. Um, of course, to, to Seb, Seb is our little child on this podcast our, our little project and uh it's uh he's a he's a work in progress but a, a great young kid he's gonna do wonderful things of course and i mean tom I'm, I'm sure he's gonna listen to this at some point he's definitely been a very helping hand behind the scenes a lot this season in particular with me um definitely means a lot to uh take some of the pressure off my plate or some of the work off my plate i guess you could say but uh, anyways, thank you all. And to everyone listening, thanks for a, a wonderful season. This isn't the end of it. We're going to keep going on. We're going to keep getting better and stronger and uh, hopefully Villa do as well. But in terms of what to expect over the summer, hopefully we should be back shortly. I'm sure the retain list will probably come out five seconds after this is uploaded as is typical timing with us. But uh, hopefully we'll do something around that. Lots of transfer news um podcast episodes might be spread out a little bit more sparingly like they were last summer um just to give everyone a little bit of a break and i know villa can be very time consuming and emotionally draining so we want to give all of our co-hosts and panelists a little bit of emotional break before we start uh losing hair breaking doors and just ultimately i don't know in the back of our closet crying because villa just made us that sad i don't know but anyways that's how i feel sometimes with this football club but we're all still here so anyways thank you all again i'll wrap it up there i'll, I'll shut up i don't know really what i'm saying anymore but anyways thank you very much and don't forget uh the villa Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.